0: Welcome to The Mind Killer, the rationalist brain on politics. As always, I'm Wesley Fenza.
1: I'm Inyash Brodsky. And I'm David.
0: All right, we have one piece of feedback from the last episode. Uh, uh, desting I'm... him... What's that?
1: Oh, wait, no, the rest are uh, follow-up stories. Yeah, that's follow... fe-
0: Feedback and follow-ups are different. Uh, so our, our feedback is from Desting him from the Discord, um, who pointed out, I think last episode we had, we had mentioned that the... The Senate had passed an infrastructure bill and then we're debating a, uh, you know, the bigger $3.5 trillion bill, which is it's apparently what it's called. Um, and we were all like, oh, yeah, they, I mean, the smaller infrastructure bill, that seems like mostly good stuff, I guess. Um, and he was pointing out that it's, it's really not because what it's doing is funding a lot of infrastructure um, that is unsustainable. Uh, and he pointed to an article by Strong Towns that we will link to in the show notes. Um, Strong Towns, their whole basically thesis, if, uh, if you've ever read that book, um, and they also have a podcast and a, and a blog, their whole thesis is that towns build too much infrastructure. Um, and then get, or they build out too much in general. And then all the infrastructure that's necessary for all that building out is a drain on the town. Um, and that what a lot of towns should do is actually, um, decrease their footprint, focus on their, their core center area, um, and only have properties where they can actually sustainably pay for the infrastructure just based on the taxes they're already collecting. Um, which is, uh, you know, I find it's a pretty persuasive point. I like to, when I, uh, do stuff in my town, I try to keep that in mind. Uh, so I think that's a good, a good comment. That uh, not infrastru- infrastructure, roads and bridges and stuff like that all uh, comes with long term costs that maybe we shouldn't be incurring.
1: Yeah, and maybe we should focus on, oh, I don't know, developing some sort of technology that I don't know, you could maybe say, drive around your town and then maybe, I don't know, fly to other towns or cities. I, I
2: don't think it's the intra... What, what or inter. What I'm saying is that flying
1: cars that is. is infrastructure, and that if we really wanted an infrastructure bill, we would we would write a bill abolishing the FAA.
2: Okay, so I'm with you on flying cars are awesome, and we should abolish the FAA. I don't think flying cars themselves count as infrastructure, though, and I think the towns specifically have issues with their internal infrastructure and not intertown roads. I'm
0: sorry, it is actually against our bylaws to debate what's infrastructure and what's not on the podcast. <laughs> so I'm gonna have to cut off this conversation.
2: Damn.
0: Fair enough. <laughs> moving on, we have we are now done with feedback, and moving on to follow-ups. Um, David has quite a few things to say about Australia.
1: Yeah, so uh, in our last episode, Wes um, mentioned how the uh, Marginal Revolution story about Australia um, uh, enforcing its lockdowns with the military was kind of overblown. And... He was not wrong in that one specific case, but since then, Australia has gone about proving that even though that one specific case was a mite overblown, in general, they're still being aggressively totalitarian. So uh, just as a quick recap of what they've been doing... Uh, The New South Wales government has started using COVID restrictions as an excuse to monitor and limit people's alcohol intakes. Uh, They have implemented check-in apps um, uh, to see whether people were complying with their quarantines. And approximately immediately, uh, the police started using that uh, app data for investigative purposes.
0: No, surely not.
1: Yeah, and Police the government is deliberately creating a shortage of at-home tests explicitly as a punitive measure to try to increase vaccine uptake.
2: Wait, 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 wait. Explicitly as a punitive measure?
1: Yes.
0: They actually did, yeah, somebody admitted this, that they deliberately, they deliberately uh, created a shortage of tests because they didn't want people taking tests as an excuse to not get the vaccine.
1: Wow. Yeah. Yes. So, one thing I do need to note, just for the sake of clarity, the Australian courts have, uh, done a pretty good job of limiting police access to the tracking data. Um, they have, as of when I took these notes, uh, only tried to use the data six times, which is six times too many, but whatever. Um... And, uh, three territories have passed laws explicitly banning the police from accessing the data for investigative purposes. Um, and, uh, yeah, you should see the links in the show notes for the details about the various comings and goings on this issue. Uh, but I am cynical enough about the long-term prospects of civil libertarianism that I think as long as this data exists... There will be people pushing for it to be abused, and courts can only push back so hard and so successfully for so long.
0: Alright, well, take that, all you, uh, it's really not that bad in Australia, people.
1: Yes. Also, if you ever find yourself in a relationship where you're insisting that your boyfriend or girlfriend only beats you occasionally and not that hard consider maybe also leaving that relationship.
0: Alright, and David also has a follow-up for us on the uh, China... Uh, I always forget how to say this name. Is it Highway?
1: Huawei. Huawei.
0: Huawei. Yeah, the Huawei CFO release story.
1: Uh, yeah, so I just wanna... Like, there's not really any substantially new information uh, for people who have been following this uh, story closely. I just found a, um, a, uh, video which went into a good bit of detail about, like, the details of the comings and goings, um, and, uh, so there will be a link in the show notes to that, and I would encourage people to watch it if they're interested in more details.
0: So it does remain the case that China just grabbed two random dudes and were like, we're jailing these dudes unless you give us our CFO back. Yes. And then they did. Okay. Okay. Um, and there was a uh, a short update on the Texas abortion law that we talked about. Um, last episode, we talked about how the Justice Department was suing the state of Texas um, to see if that was an okay defendant. Um, a district judge granted an injunction. And then two days later, the Fifth Circuit struck it down. So we're basically in the same situation there. Uh, possibly will be heard by the Supreme Court, but probably not. Okay, now, on to the new news. Yay! (laughs) Um, uh, First story is the Facebook whistleblower. Um, Somebody, former Facebook employee, uh, released a bunch of documents and internal memos and stuff from Facebook showing basically uh, stuff that I already knew, that I thought everybody already knew, which is that social media is, like, bad for you in a lot of ways. Um... And now, yeah. Facebook knew this too. Um, the The headline that people were splashing around a lot was that uh, it, they took surveys that showed uh, Instagram was negative for women's body image. Um, but the funny part is that what they don't tell you is that those surveys showed that Instagram's was rated positive on every other issue including body image for teen boys. Um, Because it was, yeah, it was was surveyed were teen boys and teen girls. So teen boys, they asked um, about, like, 10 different things, like problematic social media use, anxiety, social comparison, sleep, FOMO they asked about, family stress, eating issues, loneliness, body image, financial stress, sadness, and um, something called SSI. I don't know what that is. But – it was net positive on everything except body image for teen girls. Uh, so, what their internal data actually showed was that like Instagram's pretty great for teens, um, except in this one area, uh, which probably you didn't read about because that didn't doesn't fit the narrative.
2: But that is just uh, Instagram. Facebook That's just is Instagram. still absolutely terrible.
0: I mean, I think Instagram is probably terrible too. Uh, certainly terrible for me. But I,
2: are you on Instagram?
0: I have an Instagram. I don't really use why it. Why is it terrible for you? Oh, it's just uh, vapid. I don't know. It's like <laughs> why
2: don't you not use it then?
0: I do not use it. Oh, okay. I, just, well, I just said I don't use it.
2: <laughs> You're fine. It's not terrible for you. It's neutral for you.
0: Yeah. It, okay. w- it was terrible for me when I used it. Ah, um, gotcha. okay. Same deal with Facebook. Like I just ba- barely use Facebook anymore because I was like, oh god, I hate this. Mm-hmm. Um the congress of course immediately had to have a hearing about it and now they're all howling about how we need to regulate facebook and nobody has any actual plan to do this in any productive way um but they're you know grandstanding about it the
2: thing i I find this really stupid because every okay i i I pulled out this quote from a 60 minutes interview i think i pulled this out could have been someone else because my initial is in front of it but i remember seeing this. sounds like something you would do Okay. The whistleblower said that Zuckerberg has allowed choices to be made where the side effects of those choices are that hateful and polarizing content get more distribution, which is like four steps removed from anything that anyone gives – should give any fucks about, right? Yeah. Like he allowed choices to be made right away. should be a giant red flag that you're about to say something of no importance whatsoever. <laughs> uh, but...
0: How dare you let people make choices?
2: <laughs> I know, right? Um, but the the thing that I find um, really dumb about this whole thing is people are acting like Facebook is some kind of moral crisis when all that is really going on here is um, the political apparatus wants more censorship powers. They they want a, a they know what a huge platform the social media is and they want the ability to control it and to say what they want to say and basically act as an arm of the official government propaganda which I absolutely hate. I, I think social media is terrible and honestly I think the world would be better if we literally made like Facebook, Twitter, most social media illegal um, with I don't know maybe not death penalty, but really harsh penalties <laughs> so that really if you have <laughs> anything What's a to death say, if
0: you join Facebook
2: <laughs> you know I'm not saying I'm against it, but I'm not quite for it yet. <laughs> Uh, but, like, if you have something to say, go out there and get your own shitty blog that everyone is going to ignore just like everyone else, right? That is the way the world worked when the Internet didn't suck, and it was great. Uh, and it, barring that, the other option should be just hands fucking off. Uh, I, I This medium area where everybody is on these social platforms and they are used as propaganda arms where the government can censor things that it dislikes is
0: the worst possible world. And I don't like it, sir. I don't think we should be making uh, social media illegal. Uh, so let me well, just say that now.
2: I'll convince you eventually.
0: Well, if you do it, you'll probably do it on social media. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Not wrong.
0: But I think, especially Facebook, like Facebook, I don't know. It's it's a thing now. I don't know if it's going to be super popular in 20 years. You know, people, are I think they've got, they've, they've basically gotten everyone they can get um but everyone like you know everyone in my social circle used to be on facebook constantly now it's like nobody uses it anymore so i don't know i don't even know how big a problem this is uh but anyway yes i think they should just leave it alone and let people do what they want and if that means they want to spread misinformation they should be allowed to spread misinformation
2: i yes i agree people are yeah
0: they they, they wouldn't be monitoring what you say on you know, telephone calls, even if they're big conference calls with lots of people. Um, So they shouldn't be doing this either. Exactly.
1: And uh, David has a follow-up Facebook story for us. Uh, Yeah, so on an actually seriously unrelated note to the whistleblower, uh, Facebook and Facebook-owned apps suffered a worldwide outage for like six hours on Friday, I think. Um, Uh,
0: that's just what they want you to think, man. It was really so you couldn't (laughs) share the story about the whistleblower.
1: Ha! And
2: about how Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna (laughs) go ahead and go out on a limb here and say that's fake news. But, uh... You mean
0: it wasn't in Facebook's business interest to be out for, like, eight hours? (laughs) Of
1: course it was. Um, yeah. Uh... Yeah, this was on October 5th, which was last Tuesday. I, I heard uh, this
0: described as some kind of DNS problem, which means yeah, nothing to me. Yeah, I,
1: I heard that it was, like, someone who works for Facebook who directly tried to mess it up as a protest for something. Uh, I've also heard the DNS story. Honestly, I don't really care. Wait, you heard it was terrorism? <laughs> I heard that from a not very reliable
0: at all source. Okay, because I did not hear that at all. And you'd think, I wouldn't, if it was a protest, I, somebody would have told someone.
2: I, I like that we're conflating protests with terrorism now.
0: I mean... I will bring down Facebook, this is terrorism. Isn't that the difference between a peaceful protest and a you know, protest that breaks shit? The la- I, I, isn't that what makes it terrorism? You're breaking shit? I think that's
1: what makes it, I don't know, illegal. It's a combination of a protest breaking shit and uh, the protesters being not being co-tribalist with the speaker. Oh, well. Isn't it also actually supposed to inspire terror in some meaningful way?
0: I suppose so. You you don't think taking down Facebook does that?
1: That definition is so 1999. God damn it, I'm showing my age again.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so that happened. It was, uh, I barely noticed because like I said, I'm uh, not on Facebook much.
2: I actually didn't notice at all. Someone had to tell me about it after. <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, it does suck that mean that WhatsApp was out because I think that a lot of people use that as like their primary communication.
2: Ooh, remember when it used to have end-to-end security?
0: Nope, it did for quite a while. Well, that probably would not have helped you. No.
1: Yeah, no. The end-to-end security just means that the people on the servers can't read uh, your message. If the servers blow up, then it doesn't help you there.
2: Right, I was just trying to reiterate how shitty it is that Facebook bought it and then took away the end-to-end encryption. Oh
0: yeah. Yes, that
2: is shitty. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Apple's doing but that those too. Guys.
2: For which thing? iMessage. Oh, their default messaging thing? Yeah,
0: we covered this last time because they uh, they have to they want to search it for child porn.
2: Oh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought they were just looking in your phone. I guess they would have to see your messages too. Yeah, all right.
1: Yeah. Okay. And was that end-to-end encrypted? I was under the impression that it wasn't encrypted. And they just switched from "it's not encrypted, but we're not looking, we promise" to "it's not encrypted, and also we're totally looking." Oh, maybe I
0: thought it was encrypted, but possible. I don't. Uh, I don't remember.
1: Maybe you're just buying into the uh, the
2: Apple propaganda.
0: <laughs> maybe. Um, okay. Next story: the Pandora Papers. Um, so a bunch of documents leaked from a bunch of different sources showing you know the financial details of some of the world's richest people this is a lot of like international world leaders uh, very rich people from other countries not a lot of Americans in there Um, so you know not that interesting
1: it's not about america i'm gonna go out on a limb and say that the infamous trump tax returns weren't in here because he's not some of the world's richest people (laughs) trump tax returns were not in there um but there are some fun
0: america connections like that apparently lots and lots lots of trusts from rich people are made in south dakota um, because apparently South Dakota has really favorable rules around secrecy and access to the trust by creditors. And a lot of rich people are using trusts to hide their money because they're a lot less regulated than banks. Um, and I found this great quote from the uh, Republican chairman of South Dakota's Senate Judiciary Committee, Gene Abdallah, said in t- 2007 about the trust rules. He just said, nobody understands any of them. <laughs> apparently nice. they were just written by industry insiders given to the state uh senate or this the state government and been like here pass this and they just did wow yeah i mean uh, that's how a lot I of laws democracy. get
1: I love
0: democracy yeah <laughs> um apparently there's lots of lawyers involved uh, and accountants um helping out to uh hide people's assets And their income, Um, a lot of what it showed is perfectly legal. Um, Some of it is not. Um, And now a group of congressmen are proposing what they're calling the Enablers Act, which is some sort of contorted acronym for something.
1: Oh, this should be good. Hang on. I need to look it up. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh, But they want to require more reporting by financial middlemen like lawyers and accountants and trust companies comparable to what banks have to report. Okay, um, you guys ready? Yeah.
1: Do it. Establishing new authorities for business laundering and enabling risks to security. Ugh,
0: that is clunky. a mouthful.
1: <laughs> yes, and my favorite part is they have enabling for yeah. the second E. Yeah, it's not
0: <laughs> even the first E. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, so it's... I, I am very ambivalent about this act because, you know, it's more government regulation so that's bad. It's probably going to make running a trust company harder. Um, And it might affect lawyers! Can you imagine? The best people!
1: (laughs) But you don't interact with the trust lawyer. Yeah, no,
0: I wouldn't have to deal with this.
1: I I am generally very much opposed to this sort of thing uh, because um, rich people will always be able to hire um, high-powered accountants and lawyers to help them evade taxes no matter what... uh, what uh, laws get passed to try to prevent them from doing so, and uh, uh, the bill for this sort of thing tends to get stuck with the uh, middle and lower middle class who cannot afford uh, such chicanery.
0: See, I don't believe that. I feel like you know, there's a there's a cat and mouse there between the the rich asset hiders and the regulators. But the regulators have been on the losing end for a while because we don't fund the IRS. Uh, I think if you funded the IRS, you'd catch a lot more tax cheats.
1: Yeah, except rich people and poor people are audited at roughly the same rates by the IRS, which doesn't sound like you have a funding problem. It sounds like you have an incentives problem.
0: Well, should fix that too.
1: Okay, well, you fix the incentives, and then we'll talk about giving them more money.
0: Fair enough. All right. Um, this isn't going to pass anyway, because the rich people don't want it to, and nobody else really understands it, so. Uh, so yeah, uh, I don't know, the Pandora Papers seemed like kind of a nothing burger to me, everyone was talking about it, but I, I added it to the outline here at the last second, because I was like, I guess we should tell people this happened, but I don't know, is there anything in there that seemed noteworthy to you?
1: I mean, I haven't read them, so I don't know. (laughs) I don't that's that's read, my problem, too. I don't read things.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of like, breaking news, rich people are avoiding paying taxes through a combination of legal and semi-legal and illegal means. I was like, yeah. oh, shocking.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, so, yeah, I guess this is a reminder, rich people don't pay a lot of taxes.
1: I mean, they do, pay, they do pay a lot of taxes, they just don't pay... As much taxes as they would if they abided by the spirit of the law.
0: That's true. Rich people do actually pay lots of taxes. Uh, all right, David, you have a story for us about Missouri.
1: Yeah, so uh, Missouri State uh, murdered a mentally handicapped person uh, because he murdered some other people, which is bad. But also states murdering people is also bad. Um, fun twist for this one. Uh, the perfidious Roman asked him, ask uh, Missouri State to show leniency, so maybe the man that they, uh, that Missouri State murdered was part of the popish conspiracy with the devil. Um, uh, now
0: when you say perfidious Roman, you're referring to the Pope, is that correct? Yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> and, uh, they didn't listen? No, they didn't. My God. What's the world coming to where even the Pope can't stop states from executing people
1: why is the pope trying to stick his dick in a foreign country's internal affairs anyway uh because as much as i have issues with uh catholics and catholicism they do have a fairly consistent principled opposition to the death penalty
2: oh okay well that that part's kind of good i guess but also i don't know stay out of other people's internal politics maybe well does he does he protest every single state execution around the world i hope
0: so yeah i mean he's against it i don't know if he like makes any phone calls about it Mm
1: -hmm. yeah but i'm i'm pretty sure that uh missouri does have uh quite a bit of or quite a big catholic population because they're formerly french um so like it would make sense if maybe the Pope had more pull with Missouri voters and therefore Missouri politicians than he did with, oh, I don't know, like, Montana.
0: Montana doesn't give a shit about anybody.
1: Yeah. Fucking Montana.
0: <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that sucks. Um, yeah. We should probably stop executing people because it's dumb and doesn't do anything. Yeah. All right. Uh Eniash. Yes. You have a local story for us. And by local, I mean local to you in Colorado.
2: Yes. Uh, I, a large Colorado hospital system here says that uh, people on the organ wait list won't be offered a transplant if they refuse to get the COVID vaccine, citing the significant risk the virus poses to transplant recipients. I wasn't sure exactly how to feel about this. In general, I would think, like, if they want to risk dying, let them risk dying. But, like there's not a surplus of organs out there they, they're a very hot commodity and honestly if you're going to be transplanting someone's organs and they're just going to die from the covid afterwards anyway probably good idea to limit the transplants to people who get the vaccine and show they give at least the slightest shit about staying alive after this yeah i mean transplant so,
0: recipients are probably on the list of people who are especially susceptible i would think yeah so i don't know that makes sense to me um david you can go ahead and tell us about how we need markets and organs now
1: uh yeah so the (laughs) this is a problem because we have a shortage of transplant organs which we wouldn't have if we allowed transplant organs to be sold but anyway uh yeah i'm okay with this because um like i said i think uh the way that you implement public health measures in a polity that respects individual freedom is you just make people bear the cost of uh that um of their decision not to get vaccinated including being at the back of the line for emergency services and other healthcare related things uh so yeah this seems like a seems like a good idea to me
2: yeah it's, it seems strange to consider that bearing the cost though i mean i, I do agree with you in general but like is it really bearing the cost to, to
1: be told you can't get an organ transplant? So the principal cost for organ transplants is wait time. So yes. Okay. Yeah, uh, like the, if
0: I'm donating, if I wanted to donate an organ, right, I wouldn't want it to go to some asshole who won't get the vaccine. <laughs> but I think <laughs> but they do, do you, generally, like, triage these things to be like, okay, who is this going to help the most? Like who's who's in the who's, whose life is going to be extended the most by these things? Um, don't they do that with organs? Uh, they
2: used to? I don't know if that's
1: still a thing. I'm pretty yeah, sure they it's do. It's at least
2: taken into consideration. Yeah, like, an 80-year-old rarely is going to get an organ if, you know, someone in their 60s could yeah,
0: use it. Yeah, and I think that's just because they do these kind of calculations. Like, who's, who's going to benefit from this the most? Uh, now, the COVID thing is probably not that principled. Like, I doubt they really do the cost-benefit to be like, okay, not getting a COVID uh, vaccine, you know, takes gives you gives you this danger and then factor that into the whole thing they're just saying like no you have to get the vaccine but i'm actually fine with that too because you know you
2: think this is a punitive measure for people that aren't getting vaccines
0: well i don't think I, i i um i wouldn't characterize it as punitive but i think it is um there to incentivize people to do the things they can do to keep themselves um to take care of their own health if we're going to be, like, giving them these scarce resources. But once again, I agree with David um, that markets would solve this.
2: Yes. Uh, There is a plot twist to this whole thing. Uh, When I was doing my Googling to make sure there's a second source, even though I trust NPR, uh, I Googled organ transplant COVID vaccine and got a result also from NPR earlier in the year uh, that warned us all that COVID vaccines maybe don't work for organ transplant patients. Be weird. Uh, I believe this was part of the whole scare tactic of, uh, you know, if we don't get everyone a vaccine right away, organ transplant people are gonna die because it doesn't work for them. And I personally don't think you need that scare oh, tactic. Oh yeah, I remember just that. The, yeah, yeah. You can just use the scare tactic of if you don't get the COVID vaccine, you're gonna get fucking COVID, you asshole. Um, but uh, yeah, they doesn't they, work that well, the, turns out. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know about people anymore. <laughs> but yeah, that I thought it was, that was a disingenuous bullshit thing, because uh, Googling a little further, they were mostly wrong about that, too. Uh, the the organ plant transplant recipients are actually significantly protected by the vaccine. And the fact that they first, you know, ran this article about how they might not work well for organ transplant people, and then running this whole, you have to get the vaccine if you're an organ transplant thing, struck me as very much reporting whatever is uh, an argument of soldiers thing. Reporting whatever your, your side wants to be out there without being terribly concerned about how accurate anything is
0: uh, i believe that's a uh, simrilacrum uh, level three at least
2: Ooh, we're gonna have to go over those
0: <laughs> um that's so that's funny though because you're like well i trust npr and then just just covered an npr story where they were lying to us yes. so maybe don't trust npr that much
2: yeah no. uh don't trust anybody
0: all right next story virgins next
2: <laughs> virgins in the media <laughs> Uh, no, Virgin Media, the uh, UK company uh, didn't, It's responsible for a whole bunch of things um, Probably most recently heard of them About the whole going to space thing Because, uh, um, what's his name? Richard Branson. Branson Yeah, Branson was doing the going to space thing too uh, But anyways, Virgin
0: Media is one of the big four ISPs in the UK yeah.
2: They have nearly 6 million homes
0: that they provide service to It's not my ISP, and... I get mine from Chad Media
2: <laughs> It's the better media yeah. <laughs> Oh man I I wonder if there's a competitor in the UK called Chad Media. That would be great. Um, sounds like something a small startup would do. Anyways,
0: million dollar Virgin- ideas here, people. You're welcome.
2: <laughs> I wish we could get a tiny cut of that if it works out, but it's it's. I'm I'm gonna continue with my story. Thanks for interrupting me again. <laughs> <laughs> um, Virgin Media is secretly operating its own blacklist of sites. Um, that offer vpns or vpn reviews which is crazy because this is a level of censorship that the government doesn't even require of them and we all know that the UK does not have rules, uh, free speech protections, and they're actually pretty darn big about censoring things that they don't want their citizens to know about. But they they don't yet have a, um, a VPN restriction order on the government, which it, VPNs are a common way to get around censorship on the internet. And so this virgin media is just going out there and preemptively licking boots before they even have to.
0: So if you already have a VPN in the UK but virgin media is your isp can you not access it or is this just blocking sites to like learn about vpns
2: uh i it was blocking nord vpn specifically which is the one i know about because i listen to podcasts
0: (laughs) um
2: i don't know if you already have it if you could i would assume you could still get around things because you have the vpn but i don't know haven't uh haven't actually tried myself
0: uh yeah that sucks um i don't know why they would do that since i don't think it affects their profits at all if someone uses a vpn
2: They just love censorship, man.
0: I guess so. Well, Richard Branson, do something. Be the Chad (laughs) Media you want to see in the world.
2: Is he still in charge? Has he retired? No, I don't know. I assumed that he had retired at this point. (laughs) He's he's
0: just running Virgin Galactic. (laughs) Yeah. Seems likely. Um, All right. Well, get it together, Virgin. Yeah. Uh,
2: Stop being such a virgin. (laughs) Uh,
0: All right. Next story is about our global minimum tax.
2: Yes, which does not exist yet, but... What's um, coming? uh, Well, we'll see. A large number of um, politicians, people in the world... Uh, Policy wonks all kind of want a global minimum corporate tax rate because a lot of corporate revenue nowadays comes from things that are not really localized to any particular area like um, IP and patent uh, royalties, things like that. And uh, there are countries out there that don't really tax corporations very much, uh, most famously in the English speaking world, Ireland uh really boosted their economy a ton by being like hey corporations we're gonna tax you almost nothing and every corporation that wanted to do business in europe was like fuck yeah we're incorporating in ireland now uh so some people didn't like that too much uh specifically the governments of countries that aren't ireland and they've been trying to figure out what they can do about this but we have you know similar problems like this in the u.s where some states have higher or lower tax rates than others which is why everybody incorporates in south carolina and uh, the, the, there really isn't anything to do about it, sort of maybe lowering your own corporate tax rate to uh, bring the companies back, or maybe having some kind of like giant unified plan to all have the same corporate tax rate, which is something that the world apparently is trying to do now. The Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, uh, which I will say more about in a second, agreed to a global deal to ensure that big companies pay a minimum tax rate of 15% governments could set whatever local corporate tax rate they want but if a company pays a lower rate in a particular country their home governments could top up their taxes to the 15 percent maximum the so that at the very least would um stop incentivizing companies who are getting taxed uh 15 percent or less from leaving their com- country to go to a country that taxes even less than that because they'd still have to pay 15 percent anyway uh ah, the of american the ex- system yes The exact formula for working out how much companies will owe across the various jurisdictions is one detail that still needs to be finalized. It's quite a a detail. I I know, right? But (laughs) But at least this committee has decided that it is a good idea and they would like it done. Uh, Ireland, of course, does have some exemptions written in because I, you, you couldn't get this thing passed without Ireland signing on, and they're not going to sign on if it craters their economy. Now,
0: do you know what kind of exemptions they have?
2: No, the article I read just said that okay. there's some allowances made for yeah, Ireland. Yeah, because I read I about this go read
0: pretty briefly, and I didn't hear anything about Ireland. Um, yeah, maybe they're still working that out.
2: Right, one of those details. Yeah,
0: it's one of those, one of those pesky <laughs> details.
2: Yeah, but uh, the none of this is, like, binding or anything. The OECD is uh, one of those recommendation committees, basically. Uh, it was originally formed... I've I, I got to say this because this is really cool and interesting how organizations grow and form. Uh, originally, it was named something else and f- formed to help administer the Marshall Plan after World War II uh, to use U.S. funds to rebuild Europe which was kind of cool in 1961 it was reformed into what it is now and membership was extended to non-union states it does not have any power to enforce its decisions but it is considered influential in the world uh, stage it publishes a lot of reports and even some research and most countries in the world have are members of it and have their own delegations and uh those delegations are led by ambassadors so you know they, they got they got something uh, the major exceptions to this are Brazil, Argentina, and Russia. Which
0: Damn those like, Russians.
2: You know, we're still fighting the Cold War or some shit? I don't know.
0: I guess I, what I didn't hear on that list was China.
2: China is included. All right.
0: Well, good on them. Um, yeah, so I this is another one I'm ambivalent about because I'm like, is this just like governments forcing the whole world to bend to their will? And does that suck? Or is this, like, a huge coordination problem that we actually manage to handle as an entire, like, world? Um, I don't know. David, I'm sure you have opinions.
1: Yeah, um, not really. (laughs) I, my big re- the big reason I don't have opinions about this is I'm just skeptical that it'll actually stick, um, Yeah, Yeah, it's really, really easy to say, hey, we should solve this coordination problem, and much, much harder to actually get people to solve the coordination problem. Uh, If this does turn out to be more than the nothing burger I expect it to be, then I will be fairly upset about that, because... I do not think corporate tax rates are good things because corporations tend to do good things and therefore when you tax them, you have less of them. But uh, yeah, I, at the moment, I'm, I just don't think this is going to go anywhere.
0: Well, here's what I'm worried about, because I think uh, Honduras is an OECD member. Uh, so that means this would apply to Prospera. Ooh, Maybe they'll carve out an exemption for that. I hope so, because uh, one of their big draws is their 10% tax rate. Yeah. So yeah, maybe maybe there'll be an exception for like special economic zones and things things of that nature.
2: I should hope so. Those are
1: well known things that some countries try. Yeah, they yeah. should.
0: They they do need flexibility like the one thing that they are for. So
1: yeah, and if there is an exception for charter cities and things of that ilk then that might help people actually start implementing Charter Cities, which would be a very good thing. But that's more of a bank shot than I'm comfortable (laughs) endorsing.
0: Yeah. All right. So next story is about the... Wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. One final thing. Go ahead.
1: Sorry.
2: Well, because I knew David would be so proud of me and cheer me on on this. (laughs) And I, you know I live for David's approval. I mean, we all do. (laughs) You're right. Yeah. So uh, an article that I read about this said, specifically, the minimum tax will generate $150 billion in additional global tax revenues annually. And I just had to pull out that it sounds really great when you say something's going to generate $150 billion in revenue... And they don't use wording that says something like the uh, tax will take $150 billion away from people who helped create it and give it to governments, which is slightly different from generating revenue. The minimum yes, tax will
0: extract an additional $150 billion from job creators and give it to the government.
2: You don't even have to say job creators. Just say, you know, it's going to take money from some people and give it to other people. That, that's much more accurate than generating it.
0: That is true. It's generating nothing. Yes. All right. Next story is about the Nobel Prize.
2: Oh yes. Okay, me again. Uh, the Nobel Prize this year goes to David Card, Joshua Angrist. I hope I'm saying that right. And Guido Imbens. Hmm. Oh, another one. I think I got right. Uh, the the prize itself is mainly being uh, hailed by economists as saying it's great because it was, uh, these people pioneered the way for doing econ analysis on natural experiment situations in a way that people hadn't done before. Uh, and these two people I saw called this the credibility revolution in capital C capital R. So I guess that's what it's known as in the field. Kind of cool. Uh, so I kind of wanted to throw that out there. That's always, is that like the Uh, opposite of
0: the uh, replication crisis?
2: It is literally the opposite of that, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but um, the the main reason I pulled this out is because when I stumbled across this, I saw a, several headlines saying that the Nobel Prize was awarded for proving minimum wage laws don't affect employment, uh, which apparently is, in fact, what David Card did with that original uh that original research of his that he's getting the Nobel Prize for. Quote-unquote, economists...
1: proving is a strong way to characterize that phrase, but it is the by far the strongest evidence for uh, the minimum wage not increasing unemployment. Okay, I specifically
2: pulled this out because I wanted your comments
1: on it. Yeah, so specifically the what happened with that study was... He did set up this nice natural experiment and like my prior definitely would have been that it would be a good experiment and would show conclusive, um, or would yield conclusive evidence. Uh, but there was a, um, right in the middle of their like data gathering period, uh, there was a recession. Um, it was the 1992 recession, I think, um. But there was a recession, and the control group had a big fall in their unemployment rate, while the treatment group, uh, New Jersey, did not have a fall in unemployment. Whereas uh, what you would expect normally is uh, one group, is the control group is steady, and then the treatment group rises, or at least also remains steady. Uh, So this... There's reasons to think that um, uh, minimum wages might have effects like generally lowering unemployment, but also making what unemployment remains more robust against recessions or things like that. Uh, so uh, the original Cardin kruger paper doesn't quite show that minimum wage laws don't affect unemployment. Okay.
0: All right. But the Nobel Prize was for the technique. which uh, allows you to... It is
1: is thoroughly deserved for that, I gotta say. I I politically disagree with David Card, uh, but he is a rock-solid research economist. Uh, The other two guys I don't know anything about, but I assume that they're good, too.
2: One final note before we continue. Uh, I guess, I don't know if I should say this, but I always feel like I don't hear this very often, I've only heard it once and it struck me as interesting, Uh, the Nobel Peace... not Peace Prize. The Nobel Prize for Economics is not technically a Nobel Prize. Yeah. But it is awarded at the same time and...
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it's the, like... uh,
2: The Economic Prize in honor of Nobel or something. It's awarded at the same time and in the same area and basically uh, accepted as basically the same thing.
1: Basically, someone else who was also rich and Swedish... Uh, thought, hey, you know the the Nobel prizes are great, but there really should be one for economics. And so he went to the Nobel committee and said, "Hey, how much money would I need to give you guys to add a <laughs> Nobel Prize in economics?" And they said a number, and he signed a check, and now there's a Nobel Prize in economics.
0: But it's but it but it's called something else.
1: Yeah, it's named after the guy who signed the check.
0: Okay, but it's the Nobel Committee that gives it out. Yeah. yeah oh, All right.
1: Um, Se- seems legit well, to me. It's a committee that
2: it's basically legit, just a weird technicality.
0: Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we're gonna stop talking about this now because mm-hmm. next on the list is happy news.
1: It's the it's the Sveriges Riksbank Prize in Economic Sciences in Memory of Alfred Nobel.
0: Well, all right. And then. it is
1: administered by the Nobel Foundation. All right. Well, as long as the
0: Nobel Foundation
1: gives it out, it's the same thing. Yes.
0: All right. Anyway, happy news. Good news,
1: everyone. Um,
0: first happy news is that the World Health Organization finally did something good and approved a malaria vaccine. Uh, we actually talked about this malaria vaccine a few episodes ago, that it looked promising. It seemed like it was really good. Um, and it has been approved by the WHO, which means that it will probably actually make it into people's arms. Um, it's not a, it's not, you know, the, it's not the ideal vaccine. It's certainly, it's not even the best one in development. Um, but it does provide a 30% reduction in severe malaria in children, um, who are the bulk of people who die from malaria. Uh, so it's, uh, very good. 30% is a lot. Um, and I, I, I was hearing the story about this. I didn't realize that malaria primarily affects children, um, Mostly because they say by the time they're adults, most people get it. Yep. Um, and they're mostly immune.
1: Oh yeah, the thing about malaria is it has chronic effects, um, and uh, so if you get it uh, when you're still growing, then those chi- those chronic effects mess up your development, which has more long-term consequences than getting it when you're an adult and just having to deal with the uh, chronic effects
0: yeah so it's like the opposite of chicken pox.
2: yeah i'm glad we have a vaccine because the vaccines are awesome and yeah 30 percent is
0: fucking yeah cheap. and there's also other vaccines currently in development that are showing promising results um one has like between 60 and 70 percent reduction so let's hope that one works out too oh yeah all right um next story is from eniash
2: Yes. uh, Merck is a pharmaceutical company here in, I'm assuming, in the U.S. Uh, They are seeking FDA emergency use use authorization for an antiviral COVID-19 treatment. Uh, Of note is that this is in pill form rather than the injections that the current treatments involve. Uh, And of particular note is that it was so damn effective that they cut the trial er, cut the trial off early because it was uh, deemed that having a control group was unethical Uh, it cut hospitalizations and deaths among people with COVID by half Uh, It does have to be administered before they get into the severe COVID stage, but it's a pill, so hopefully that shouldn't be too terribly hard. Uh, Some details about it. It is initially $700 per treatment in the US. It is planned to be cheaper in poorer countries because, I don't know, we we subsidize a lot of drug research uh the way it works is uh according to the article when the covid enters a cell the virus needs to duplicate its rna genome to form new viruses which i hope we all already knew uh this drug gets incorporated into the burgeoning rna strands and once inside can shift its configuration sometimes mimicking the nucleos cytidine and sometimes mimicking uridine uh, anywhere that the compound gets inserted into the RNA, and that conformational shift happens, a point mutation occurs. When enough mutations accumulate, the viral population collapses. The person they were interviewing said, basically, the virus essentially mutates itself to death, which is fucking metal as hell. Death to the Great virus. Way to take something out. <laughs> yeah, totally right. So yeah, that's uh, that is fucking amazing news. I am glad we have a way to cut our deaths in half by popping a few pills, and I'm looking forward to the
1: FDA getting off their fucking asses.
0: Don't worry, I'm sure they'll think about discussing it at their next regularly scheduled meeting.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, we'll probably have it approved no later than 2024. <laughs> all right.
2: Uh, but the good news is that we got more drugs. Yeah.
1: Uh, all right, so, next happy news is from David. Yeah, so, um... Uh, Under Trump, and then continued under Biden, there has been an eviction moratorium in the United States, where, uh, basically, landlords did not have access to the, uh, usual method of, um, of removing indigent tenants from, uh, their property. I think indigent is the right word, but I'm not sure. Um. It's indigent. Okay, and, uh. It looked like this was going to be another one of those forever policies that never gets removed or changed because um, every time someone mentioned that, hey, this is super illegal and also probably not a very good idea, everyone would howl, well, now that we've done it for this long, we'll have to deal with a massive wave of evictions if we ever repeal it. And eventually it was repealed uh, somehow. And there It was, was the no Supreme Court.
0: Evictions. It wasn't repealed. It was thrown out as unconstitutional.
1: Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, so the Supreme Court uh, ruled it unconstitutional, which, to be clear, it totally was, because, and uh, I cannot emphasize this enough, this was the CDC making it illegal for people to uh, get people that were uh, on their own private property off of their private property. Um, and there was no wave of evictions. Uh, and according to this Washington Post thing, uh, I have cited for this story, experts were confused. (laughs) (laughs) It's,
0: uh, yeah, I feel like this is, um, the same thing, like, I feel like these were all the same people who were saying that um, the, um, the labor market would pick up as soon as we ended the uh, enhanced unemployment benefits. It was like, maybe neither of these things is actually doing as much as we think. Uh, maybe this is just how the economy is going right now. That does appear to be the yeah. case. Um, so that is good news, though, that, that waves and waves of people are not getting evicted, as some experts feared. Uh, All right. Next happy news. And this is awesome because it's about land use policy. Um, So Vancouver, Canada, for those of us who, you know, are Americans, uh, is the least affordable housing market in North America. And there is an indigenous tribe of Canadians who has a reservation Um, right outside of Vancouver, and they are developing a huge housing project of 11 towers and 6,000 units. And the
1: NIMBYs can't do anything about it because it's an indigenous reservation. So can we establish a Native American reservation in, oh, I don't know, midtown Manhattan or perhaps (laughs) the Bay Area? Would be nice, wouldn't it? Um, didn't they declare, like, half
0: of Oklahoma to be indigenous land, like, a couple years ago?
1: I remember something about that, but don't remember the details.
0: Yeah. Um will see if they can just start building, like, giant skyscrapers. Uh, but, yeah, this is awesome. Because, like, this is just anyone should be able to do this, uh, but they can't. So, but these, uh, I'm just, I'm always happy when people find a way to get around zoning laws. Uh, and this this is one of the best this is ways.
2: actually gonna do you think this is actually gonna happen
0: I mean I don't see why not there's no there doesn't seem to be a legal way to stop it and this is gonna be hugely profitable for the developers and the tribe yeah. i I don't know why it wouldn't get done um I don't know you know
2: I would just think because it's you know a a very difficult project and those sometimes don't get off the ground unless there's someone who's had a lot of experience running it, Is there, are they like involving, I don't want to say Trump,
0: but <laughs> someone with
2: actual experience in real estate development?
0: I mean, I assume they've hired someone to build it. Uh, I don't think they're, they're, they're building it themselves. It's not an Amish reservation.
2: Okay. That could, you know, if this actually pans out, that would be awesome. I think it's just my, my natural cynicism coming out being like, oh, it's never going to happen. Good
0: things don't happen in the yeah, world. But they hired a, a firm called Reverie Architecture, nice. who probably yeah, knows I'm, what they're doing.
1: I am given to understand that at the top level governmental um, or at the top governmental levels of Canada, there is quite a bit of white guilt around how their native population has been treated uh i assume i assume that's justified because everyone is treated native americans like shit uh but yeah if yimby's are ever going to get a w on the scoreboard in the near future this is probably a pretty uh likely time for it to happen because yeah the i'm given to understand that they have a lot of freedom to do whatever they want with their designated reservations which is cool
0: yeah, and this is only possible because of changes in Canadian law that happened in twenty eighteen um, that allows uh, Native populations uh, more control over their own land. So, hopefully, this is the first of many. I think this is probably the only one that's like that close to a uh, in a large downtown. But I could see I could see more of this happening all over the place if it pans out, yeah. which would be great. So it would be in conclusion, screw zoning. um and we're not done we still have more happy news uh our final happy news stories have to do with nuclear power finally there's some good news about nuclear power um the first one is that the uk government has released a plan to develop deploy and export nuclear fusion power uh which is not anything anyone's doing right now um, but they are seemingly going, uh, going pretty all in on fusion, which is great because other countries might actually use that because it's you could just tell people it's less scary than the, the old-style fission reactors, and then maybe they won't go completely insane about it. Um, that's sort of a long-term plan. They're not expecting to have a reactor up and running till 2040, so that's sort of a far-future kind of thing. Um, but, you know, I'm sure climate change won't be solved by then so this could
2: and yeah and nuclear is the way to solve all our problems so we should absolutely do that. yeah
0: um and the second piece of news is that japan has restarted their nuclear plants um has restarted a few of them and is in the process of uh, restarting all of them um which then they were all closed in 2011 after the fukushima disaster
1: yep friendly reminder just because we said the f word uh More people died in the radiophobic evacuation of Fukushima than actually died from radiation exposure by several thousand times, because several thousand people died in the evacuation and exactly one died from radiation exposure.
0: Yeah, so it's kind of an overreaction there. A little bit. But 10 years later, they are going back and restarting all the nuclear plants. (laughs) Um, no, no word on yet, yet if they're planning on building any more, but hopefully.
1: Hey, do you think we could get some Indian reservations interested in building nuclear plants? Oh.
0: Hmm. I, somehow I think they would still be subject to all the shitty regulation. Oh. I feel like, yeah, my hope's for a second. I feel like developing nuclear power is not the kind of thing that they give uh, extra leeway on. It's more like you can open casinos, not like...
1: I think that sounds like quitter talk.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, all right. So we have to get the wokes all uh, invested in this to be like, we have to let indigenous Americans, uh, you know, practice their own rulemaking and not be subject to these uh, white people's laws.
1: Yes, we absolutely should, because either it'll work or... Or it'll cause a civil war between the Wokes and the Greens, and that'll be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but, but the real Greens like nuclear.
1: Well, sure. But those are a very vanishingly small minority of self-identified Greens. It's, it's too true. Okay, that is the end of the happy news. Yay.
0: Now... <laughs> You're not supposed to cheer for that, David. It's it's, sad. Um, Now we are on to troop deployments. I'm willing to put wave after wave of men at your disposal. As we all know, uh, politics is the mind killer and arguments are soldiers. So in that spirit, we ask each of our hosts to send a soldier out onto the battlefield every episode. And we'll start with David.
1: Yeah, so my troop deployment is going to get a little bit personal because uh, over this past fortnight... My, uh, general practitioner, who is fantastic, was arrested for, uh, conspiracy to acquire a controlled substance with intent to distribute. Oh, dear Uh, God. Yeah, so I don't want to talk about ongoing litigation, so I'll just leave that there as a framing device. And I will say that this, uh, accusation is ridiculous for two reasons— One is it's obviously false, as anyone who has interacted with this doctor for more than five minutes would know. And the other reason is that even if it was true, who gives a shit? (laughs) Drugs, and I can't believe I have to say this again in the year of our Lord 2021, have won the war on drugs. And the worst possible thing we could do about that is fight a post-defeat rearguard insurgency where we keep on harassing just ordinary medical practitioners and other people who are just trying to pursue their own goddamn happiness. And prohibitions have never worked. All they do is put money in the pockets of violent criminals and make the drugs that people are trying to use more dangerous. This isn't helping anyone, it's just screwing over innocent people, and all it's going to do is cause a bunch of needless suffering, and not improve literally a single life. Please, just say oops, and end the drug war. The government lost! Take the L!
0: Alright, thank you David. Uh, Eniash, what do you have for us?
2: Uh, Very similar troop deployment, actually. Uh, I was startled when I was reading the article earlier about the Merck drug that is seeking emergency FDA uh, authorization, uh, that multiple companies are all working on antivirals, uh, some similar to the Merck one, others using different lines of attack on these viruses, but uh, they, they've all been kickstarted recently by COVID. Uh, Pfizer had been developing, developing antivirals against SARS since the early 2000s. Uh, but they shelved them when the big SARS outbreak uh, went away, basically. Uh, when, this, when COVID-19 pandemic began, Pfizer just kind of blew their old, took their old research off the shelf and blew the dust off and started up again. Antivirals have been technically possible for quite a while, since at least the early 2000s. I, I, like, what? almost 20 years at this point they were just too expensive to research before the market changed to uh, have the target buyers change from a handful of people to the entire fucking world uh, and the reason they are so one of the reasons a large part of the reason they are so expensive to research and market is because of the fda they impose huge costs which are not necessary and we could have had antivirals for nearly 20 years if these people had just been allowed to do research and sell their product with maybe some sort of government agency to rubber stamp saying yes this does work the way they say it works rather than all these current hoops they have to go through uh, in summary I believe that the FDA must be destroyed
0: all something right. we should
2: repeat every now and then
0: <laughs> here, here. Uh, alright and my troop deployment this episode is that nobody cares about policy Ezra Klein's column this week was about David Shore and his advice for the Democratic Party. Uh, I'll put the link in the show notes. Trigger warning for the New York Times. Uh, Both (laughs) Klein and Shore agree that polarization based on education level is just a proxy for polarization by class, where the upper classes are voting Democrat and the working class is voting Republican. Now, this tends to screw over the Democrats because upper classes are more concentrated in cities, leading to disadvantages in the House, Senate, and Electoral College. In fact... Shore predicts that if the the Democrats win 51% of the vote, they'll lose the Senate, and a four-point margin of victory only gives them a 50-50 shot of holding it. Now, Shore's advice to appear to more rural voters is this, I'm quoting, Democrats should do a lot of polling to figure out which of their views are popular and which are not popular, and then they should talk about the popular stuff and shut up about the unpopular stuff. Uh, talk about popular ideas, like allowing Medicare to negotiate drug prices. Don't talk about unpopular stuff, like immigration. Now, I think this is wrong. And Shor's a data science scientist, so it's not surprising that his advice is do data science. And I think he's on the right track, but he's wrong about what animates voters, especially conservative ones. They don't care about policy. Most Trump supporters probably couldn't do better than chance if asked what policies Trump supports. Knowing and caring about policy is already an upper-class thing. The people who know and care about policy already mostly vote Democrat. If Democrats really want to capture more rural voters, they need to side with them on culture war issues. New Jersey Democrats can be very culturally liberal, but if you want to be competitive in Tennessee, you've got to nominate people, especially for Senate races, who support Democratic policies but who identify as conservatives culturally. Yes, this means abortion but most people actually support the right to abortion in the first trimester, so you can have a squishy position on that so long as you make sad faces about it and say that the real solution is for people to be more responsible when it comes to premarital sex. What you really need to do is hate the people conservatives hate, the coastal elites who look down on rural living as backwards, stupid, and deplorable. You need someone who thinks being called a racist is worse than being a racist, that white men are the most disadvantaged demographic, and that Me Too has gone too far. Someone who thinks critical race theory is the biggest problem with our educational system. Someone who worries that kids are being pressured to change their gender, and that none of them go to church enough. They are safer with a gun than without one. And that illegal Mexicans are taking our gerbs. Agree with them on that stuff loudly and often, and they won't care about your tax policy. They might even enthusiastically support your plan to tax the rich to give them free health care, so long as you're loudly against socialism. Conservatives don't love Trump because he supported tax cuts and opposed entitlement spending. They loved him because he was obviously an unapologetically anti-blue tribe. The hatred radiated from him. He didn't speak in euphemisms. He said the Mexicans are sending us their rapists. If Democrats want to win in red states, they need people who can do the same thing while still agreeing with Democrats on the actual important policy questions. It means you might lose their vote on a few especially salient issues, but you still have a reliable vote on everything that's not super culturally important, which newsflash is almost everything the federal government does. At the very least, you'll be able to confirm your judges. It won't work if it's insincere. You can't get someone to just say the right things. You need someone who actually speaks the language and actually shares the feelings of marginalization. Uh, But don't call it marginalization. That's a blue tribe word. But that shouldn't be too hard, because surveys consistently show that the most popular political quadrant is fiscally liberal but socially conservative. Outside of politics and media, almost everyone hates the far left and their holier-than-thou bullshit. These people are everywhere, and the Democrats should be finding them and encouraging them to run for office. To win rural voters, nominate people who share rural values, but also care about good governance. It's not fair that our system puts the thumb on the scale in favor of rural votes, but it does. And if the Democrats want to win elections, they're going to need to deal with that. Since they won't change the rules, they're going to have to find a way to appeal to more rural voters, and they won't do that by switching policy positions. They'll do it by nominating actual Red Tribe members. All right, that's our show. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, follow us on all the things. Um, leave us reviews. Um, you can leave us good good or bad ones. It's fine either way. Um, you can support us on Substack. It gets you... Uh, uh, early access to all our episodes access to some bonus episodes and a super secret exclusive channel only for uh, financial supporters and uh, we'll be back in two weeks same rat time same rat channel
1: bye bye, bye.